0: Hello and welcome to IRI Growth Insights. Today we're talking about grocery channel merchandising through the pandemic. And to kind of tee us up a little bit, I just want to say we see something you don't see. Um, As as people have been like dashing in and out of the stores trying to buy groceries um, to last at least a week, there have been fewer merchandising displays. Um, There are still prominent end caps, of course, but Aisles have been cleared of standalone displays as retailers work to open up aisles to accommodate safe distancing and ensure an efficient flow of shoppers. Um, And a little side note to retailers, those arrows don't help. Okay, that's personal. Um, So a clearer path might get you to the products you want, but they're not really inspiring new purchases or providing those reminders for complementary products that we're used to. Today, I'm joined by my colleagues, Jim Danielson, a consultant in Client Insights, In-Store Solutions Group, and Bill Ilaria, principal of In-Store Solutions here at IRI. And I'd like each of you to kind of introduce yourselves a little bit, tell us about you. And Jim, I wanna start with you. How how has the pandemic most changed your day-to-day life?
1: Well, from my day-to-day, my, everything's been turned upside down. Um, but in terms of what I, you know, focusing in on with, with IRI and work and what we're doing, like I, I shop a store differently now, right? I, I come across a display and, and those little impulse come, come, you know, companion purchases that you'd find on a display that you would normally look past. Those are, you know, they've become appealing, right? Cause now it, it, it makes it a little bit more easy to fulfill everything or, or to grab things that go along with things that are on your shopping list.
0: Okay, great. So you're, Taking advantage of buying a little more when you can.
1: I've become a sucker. Yeah, you could say that.
0: (laughs) And that's interesting because so many people have just stuck to their list. They want to get in and out. So I like that you're trying to be attracted by the shiny objects next door. So that's great. Um, Bill, how about you? From what I understand, you have become kind of like a a one-man display tracker throughout the pandemic. What's going on?
2: Well, that's, that would be big shoes to fill because uh, we do have 1,200 people out there who work tirelessly collecting shelf conditions and display conditions for IRI. Uh, I have, though, throughout the pandemic really tried to hit as many stores as possible uh, to be checking conditions just to see how stores are shifting and changing. So when we did come back, uh, just sort of have that uh anecdotal at least understanding of what the data is saying and it and it has been fascinating both through this and as we see now data coming back we returned to collections on july 13th after pausing on march 16th just uh, as the pandemic hit so uh thankfully and through the dedication and hard work of our auditors our field managers uh and our entire collections and operations team we got everybody back up and running uh, on July 13th, you know, shutting down was actually the easy part. Uh, coming back up and running was the more difficult part. But uh, we now have data flowing and that's what we want to share later today. Uh, but the, um, the really the entire industry, right, deserves a huge, huge, uh, deserves huge credit here. Uh, given that every single store employee, you know, down to the, 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 the guy, get, guy or gal in, in the parking lot, Uh, getting shopping carts has stayed through and, and been part of this massive and unbelievable supply chain that we have and kept it flowing throughout all of this. So it's been amazing to see as I look through, look around at stores. Generally, if you take a quick pass through, they, they look pretty normal. They look the same, but it's on closer inspection and it's on closer inspection of the data that you start to see the holes. You start to see the differences uh, and it's it's uh, it's really interesting.
0: So what you're telling me is that really shoppers, you don't anticipate that shoppers see a difference, even though people like us do see a difference? Is that accurate?
2: Yeah. Historically, we're drawn to beverage and snack displays, right, as shoppers, uh, and those beverage and snack displays are still there, but most of those impulse categories rely on a Points of interruption strategy, right? A lot of them have several displays. We're starting to see that shrink a bit as competition from hand sanitizers and wipes and paper towels and those displays start to take over, as well as uh, displays overall actually being uh, fewer in store now that we're back.
0: So, Jim. Um, Bill just kind of touched on things like hand sanitizer, and I think a year ago we really wouldn't have seen um, a display for that. But what are some of those drill-in insights that you found um, once the auditors went back into the store?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to take a step back and go from a little higher level first. Um, Some of things we're start seeing as we've returned to stores and we're we're beginning to report data again. as Bill mentioned, the store doesn't look tremendously different from the high level. Yes, there are a little bit less displays per store. On average, it's about five less displays in a given store. Um, and the locations that that's hurting the most, you probably won't notice those. A lot of the display stacks that were in the aisle or the things that were placed around the perimeter of the store, there are less of those. And those are the locations that have seen the biggest um biggest downturn, if you will, in terms of the number of displays, but that's expected. Those are things that are going to help free up, you know, the the room for uh, alleviating congestion in the aisles or, um, you know, those are some of the locations that just have the most display events to begin with. Um, You know, so when we got to go ahead and look at that, that's one overall theme that's shown, right? So less displays in the store. But when we take another step down and we look into what else is happening, each of those displays actually have less items on it. So not only do we have less displays, we have less item variety around the store on display. Um, and that item variety is actually something that's trending down faster than the overall assortment in the store. So basically to the tune of about twice as fast. Are we seeing the the item variety on display shrink more so than the items selling through the store?
0: So clarify that for me. just be, for So I look, I'm looking at an end aisle display and, Maybe it's around, you know, something fallish because we're in the fall. Are you saying that there's going to be fewer um, SKUs, like fewer individual items or just fewer in number?
1: Well, both, right? So, so when, when we split those apart, there's five total less displays in the store. But each individual display, and I'll use exact numbers, the average display prior, you know, last year had about 13 and a half UPCs per display, right? So you think that end cap its probably, you got about 13 individual items on that end cap. Now that same end cap has about 12 items on it. So you're losing about an item and a half on average. And when you talk about this across the average store, that's going to have about 87 to 90 displays in it, that's a big chunk of items to uh, no longer be placed off shelf.
0: And why would there be fewer UPCs? Um, why why would we do that? I mean, I get that you want to have fewer displays in the store, but why shrink what's on them? I would think they would increase. Well,
1: I mean, it could be a couple of things. Uh, there could be things that are still being challenged from the, the taxing of the, of the supply chain. Or there could just be things where, you know what, as we're going through this, we want to just isolate things to our home run items, right? The, 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 big, strong performance, we want to consolidate and just, you know, kind of put that out there. So it, those are kind of conjecture on my part. Um, but it, it, it's holding water in terms of what we're seeing so far.
0: And I think a lot of, um, you know, CPG manufacturers are just as they're kind of controlling their assortment, you know, to try and like, as you said, get their heavy hitters to make sure that they're at least providing the right supply of their top products um, they're also trying to reevaluate, do I need to be on display? You know, if I'm, if I'm afraid of even being able to meet the demand that already exists, should I be promoting it further if I can't meet that? Well, it,
1: exactly. When you come across a situation where there is less available space to display a product and you have less physical items on display the benchmark for success of a display is going to be higher now than ever before. Manufacturers can't just assume a display is going to be given to them anymore, right? Retail is going to be challenged with space. So cuts are going to have to come from somewhere and that quote unquote fringe display that maybe you got last year, it might not be granted this year, right? So the, the biggest thing for me is going to be from an implication standpoint any of those displays, you go ahead and get now. You have to try and make them as successful as possible. So there needs to be demand behind but there needs to be additional in-store levers, right? So if you're going to have something out on display, you better make sure you have a feature tied to that as well to to help drive sell-through.
0: So it's a package deal. You know, you can't like to your point, you can't just have the the end aisle display. You really want to talk it up with features and maybe some other marketing so that it's a wherever that consumer is, they're getting that message. So Bill mentioned just in passing um, hand sanitizer. So that kind of leads me to think, what categories are being impacted? You know, am I used to coming in and seeing things and all of a sudden the displays look a little bit different with different products, different assortment? Is this a win for some categories and a hit to other categories?
2: Yes. So think about the combined effects of this. Fewer displays in store, right, up to five less displays in store, especially in those critical perimeter and in aisle locations. We actually track display by location. So, as Jim said, we're seeing some of the obvious reductions as retailers attempt to create space for social distancing. Those stacks that crowded up aisles are starting to disappear and fewer perimeter displays around the racetrack. Uh, So people can get by and have enough, have the six feet of space they need to get, to get by with social distancing. So think about the combined effect of that, along with the combined effect of core items focus, either through supply or through retailers, really just wanting to keep, you know, making sure that core items are getting, getting their focus along with now a whole new competitive set of display categories that weren't traditional display categories. So we are seeing huge increases coming out of our pause and collection on things, you know, like home cleaning, even things like in-home care. So hair products, for example, uh, things that were traditionally less impulse products are now getting display-based uh, because of the demand. Because retailers are trying to satisfy that need of people doing more things in home. And obviously trying to capture that basket, you know, uh, increase when they're in their store versus the store across the street. So really a a lot of, uh, shifting going on, not only for items, for number of displays, but for categories on display. So traditional high display categories, you know, like I said, beverages, snacks, you know, Bev Alk, uh, you know, mainly beer, uh, there's, there's a lot of pressure. So, it's really important as Jim mentioned to make sure that we're optimizing what's on display optimizing location of display and and really rethinking our overall display strategy
0: and I think that when you are talking about optimizing certainly you're talking about the revenues behind those displays right
2: correct correct we're seeing actually uh, do- dollars from from those, sort of, let's call them base sales coming off display are strong, right? Because we know categories are, are turning quickly now, given stock up, given everything else that's going on. We, we know how well they're performing. So displays in that respect are performing as well. But the reduction in number of displays and the reduction in core in items on display are actually offsetting those to a really great degree. So it's really important that you understand that split and that trade-off and how, uh, how your displays are, are, are performing and using that to inform strategy. So what, what's, what's really been quite honestly lacking in the industry even prior to the pandemic is really thinking about those in-store activities that your reps or your broker reps or store labor uh, take upon to fulfill your merchandising needs. Let me explain a little bit about that for uh, for display. So typically, one of the big decision drivers in terms of merchandising strategy, especially on display, is do I need do I need stopping power? Do I need one big display in the in one location that really knocks people over? Or do I need several displays around the store, you know, typically smaller? but several displays around the store to make sure I'm hitting consumers at the right place at the right time with the right product. So IRI does a lot of merchandising strategy work with our clients uh, to help them understand what's the best, first of all, approach to the store. We find that oftentimes KPIs and and, uh, metrics that are used to track uh, sales forces and merchandising forces, don't exactly line up with the best approach to driving volume and share from that activity. So th- that's sort of just one of the the first kind of big breaks of decision decisions that we help model out with uh, with our clients, and then from there it's all about okay. Once I know that if it is stopping power, I really need to make sure I have the right location and the right variety. If it's points of interruption. Then what is that mix of location, variety, product and adjacency that really drives that extra one or two points of lift in every single store that I know I need to get uh, every you know year after year after year, week after week, to make sure that my efficiency is growing across this huge expense called in-store merchandising, right? That includes everything from the trade spend to get the display to the merchandiser to actually put the product you know up on that display.
0: So we're right now, we're in, we're in the fall season, and we're coming up on two of the biggest holidays. And to me, what I would consider like a predictable display season. Um, how has what you've explained so far um, kind of impacted that? And is that going to change for retailers, CPGs, or even a shopper?
2: Well, look at look at Halloween. We you know, we did not see the level of candy displays that you know we typically see year after year. Uh as things potentially ramp up now and as we see a resurgence in the need for in home products, in home care and and cleaning supplies who were even prior to the holidays driving dramatic increases, we don't expect that to slow down so traditional holiday displays that were expected from some of these traditional holiday um, you know holiday products are probably going to have to work extra hard to find the space to work with retailers to get that display uh, up in store
1: uh, okay bill just to layer on to that and hopefully you can hear me with the landscaper outside um, but some of the things we're already starting to see um, in terms of gains around the store around the time we've been back in stores, they do come back to those central themes of maybe it's less, less Halloween displays, but there's other things sort of happening with increases in, we mentioned hair coloring and, and personal care. There's a lot of things that are increasing within the baking categories like dough and pizza, pizza dough and refrigerated dough and evaporated milk. But there's also things that are coming on and picking up in terms of pre mixed cocktails and liquor and wine. Think about them. People that they're they're not going out to eat as often, right? You you can't go out to bars and nightclubs, so there's a lot of things that are going to happen within the house now that you used to leave for, and I would expect that to kind of continue through the holiday season, especially as we don't know what holiday celebrations are going to look like as we go forward over the next couple of weeks and through through the uh, through the new year.
0: So I love the idea of things that where the opportunities are for this, but part and and so I definitely want to hear more about some of those opportunities. But it also raises the question of how fast can both the manufacturers and the retailers react to this? Um, so, can either one of you address both tapping into new opportunities? Love the cocktail, love the, like the personal care with the shampoo and like some of those less impulsive purchases. But how fast can we react?
2: Well, look, groceries are a weekly business. Right. And it's been a weekly business since it started, which which always fascinates me, quite honestly, because think about it. We track, as Jim said, you know, 87 to 90 displays in the average grocery store year after year, week after week. Yet they change every week with the feature ad. Right. So you have a total conversion of the store week by week. And the more things change, the more they look the same, right? Because it always laddered up to 87, 90, 91, 92 displays per, per, for the average store across grocery. Wow. Well, that's changing now. For the first time, that's that's changing. So this, the, the change is real, the squeeze is real, but the weekly nature of all this has not changed. And there are some retailers who can react as quickly as four weeks out because ads are not set, quite honestly, while they are planned. Well, in advance, you know, the final go to print, uh, is fairly on a fairly short lead time, uh, and they are reacting. They reacted pretty quickly. I mean, we've only been down, we were only down for 17 weeks and they did react. And we are seeing the result of that reaction, uh, in, in the data. So it's fascinating. And it's just another testament to grocery as an industry. Right. And how, how great it is and, and how responsive and reactive it is.
0: But what about those CPG partners? You know, are they are they able to react as fast and get product to the store to, you know, fulfill the display?
2: Absolutely. No, for those things that are in supply, a- absolutely, because it's part of their DNA. It it it's, it really is part of the DNA, especially, especially for the DSD players. Uh, but for the warehouse players as well uh because stores and manufacturers are, are working you know better together than ever because they're they're forced to right given supply issues given the need to be nimble uh warehouse players are are you know working working well as uh, with with retailers to to have to be reactive uh as well
0: you know in fact we do um we've done a number of c-suite conversations with executives from very large retailers and very large cpg companies and they all echo what you just said bill that the relationships that they've forged through the pandemic are unprecedented in terms of collaboration and transparency and so that is going to be one of like the the silver linings that comes yeah out of this
2: so yeah the tree of knowledge is rooted in difficulty. Right. Yeah. So, so as we go, as we persevere uh, we, we learn, we learn. And it's, it's a great, it's been an amazing thing to, to, I, I am super proud to be in this industry and, and it is responded, you know, like that, like obviously the healthcare industry has, right. Um, we can't forget that. And all of our partners out there in retail and, and manufacturers as, as well as, you know, importantly, Store labor it has been phenomenal.
0: So, oh, go
2: ahead, Jim.
1: No, I was just going to say, Bill, because I think you said you said a key word in there, and I think it really goes into a lot of um, relationships right now. It, as you said, partner, right? It's not—it's—it's not manufacturer to retailer. It's not, not retailer retail to vendor anymore. It, everything is now becoming a true partnership, and and how we can all collaborate and work best together.
2: But competition hasn't gone away, so that's the important thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it's all about. It's all about outsmarting your, your competitor. It's all about out-executing your competitor. Uh, and that's a lot of what we provide, right, for clients and even for retailers is that insight that, you know, that that's help on, on strategy that's so important. You know, it's no longer like it was in the 80s and 90s. Just go out and get me a display. It doesn't work anymore. You need to be more prescriptive. You need and now especially with the pressures you really need to optimize first first the strategy. Sometimes we don't think of merchandising as being strategic. Yet oftentimes on manufacturers P&L, the money the the money that goes into making that merchandising happen is the largest P&L spend, you know, that they have many times more than raw materials. So it's more important than ever Uh, It's what we do. It's what we love. And uh, it's great to be able to spend some time to chat about it.
0: Well, we're not done chatting about it. (laughs) (laughs)
2: um,
0: I want to know, what should these retailers and their CPG partners anticipate moving forward? Because this isn't a forever scenario. Um, What do you anticipate and what do you recommend?
2: I believe that we are Heading into a true error of um, SKU rationalization,
0: right? Well, I think
2: one. I think retailers and manufacturers are really going to look at those tertiary items that either they they've cut out the supply of, trying to focus their manufacturing on core items, and retailers are going to need to create space now, potentially permanently. Uh, for more social distancing. But don't forget, they're also in the meantime, creating more space for delivery, right? For click and collect mm-hmm. for, uh, you know, for places where they can now transform some of these stores to have space for for pickup uh, and for coordinating those those orders and putting those orders together. I know in my home store in New Jersey, They've carved out this little tiny space and there's about 10 people elbow to elbow there. Well, not now elbow to elbow, but very you know cra- crowded in there, putting orders together and bringing them out to cars. It's clear that they're going to need more space for that in the future, and that's going to come from space within the store. So I, I do think that we are looking at uh, a major shift in terms of how we think about assortment, uh, how we think about store design. Uh, and it's it's going to be it's going to be fascinating. Well, not only that, as a shopper, as a consumer, now service
1: at retail is probably more important ever you know now than ever before. Over the last few months, I mean, I know it's not within the grocery channel, but I, I've had numerous instances where I've literally picked where I'm going to buy a product from based on if they will bring it out to my car or not. So I, I think I think the the emphasis on
2: Shopper service is going to be a huge thing for retail going forward. And Joan, we haven't even talked about the implications to the front end, that space at the registers that is so important to candy and snack companies and some general merchandising uh, categories. Think Think about that, you know, in terms of now consumers bypassing that space or not being able to have the dwell time they once had in that space because of social distancing. I agree. Huge impact, huge impact. You yeah. know, the, this, the, this, the, the self-scan, uh, registers that are going in the potentially, potentially as more retailers, I, I know there's, there's a lot of tests going on and stores are starting to come up with, uh, register transactions, uh, huge impact there.
0: Well, and I also want to, um, kind of get you on another podcast to talk about that. And, even opportunities for like display whatever that might look like for e-commerce because i'm one of those shoppers who really relies on those those cues of what else do i need i love the solutions and i want to see how that's going to translate so we've got front end and we have the whole solution set reminders for e-commerce that i would love to to um explore with you later
2: we'll, we'll love to do it i you know i just just two words you know on that but you know we're we know we're we're heading to an era where we want to get to personalized pricing uh, imagine personalized merchandising wow right exactly. so not only online but even directed to stores where where the bulk of consumers shop for a certain merchandising strategy that works against a specific shopper uh the possibilities are endless
0: great i love i love that word possibilities um so as we wrap up i just want to kind of review a couple things that I heard, um, and that is um, the number of displays per store is down, and you really anticipate that that's going to remain down as we enter a new world where we're accommodating more social distancing and e-commerce for f- fulfillment or click-and-collect fulfillment, um, and that the number of categories or the number of products, um, UPCs, are are fewer, which does really surprise me. Um, so that means that there's going to be more competition um, and more strategizing around the types of products that these retailers and CPGs um, want to display. Um, but that there's great competition out there. You know, that's what it's all about: is competing healthfully in the CPG retail landscape, and um, people still want to have that good in-store activity. So. Again, displays might be down, but they're certainly not out. So with that, I want to thank you both, um, Bill and Jim, for your time today, and we've already teed up another podcast, so I'll talk to you Great. soon.
2: Look forward to it. Thank, thank you, you John.
0: Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.